Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast for shining a light on bright ideas. Today, we're talking about the pen market. Like seriously, Eagle Pen Company CEO, Jeremy Piper, who's the president. Jeremy, it is awesome having you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's so awesome. I, I, we have never had anyone on the Contender Cast talking about pens, and I can't wait to dive in. I have always been a pen carrier, like ever since college, probably. You know, I've, I like a nice pen, and so I just can't even wait to dive into this. So here's my first question for you, though. You have your bachelor's in political science, minor in sociology, and you, you and your father start a pen company. Like, how does this happen? How did you guys even get into this market? Uh, basically, I did not want to go out and get a real job. <laughs> um, that's the straight answer. Every entrepreneur, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, we. It was all started out as a hobby, as many you know successful people tell you. Oh, it's a garage operation, this and that, and that's exactly what it was. It was just a father and son hobby uh, for me and my dad. Wow! And it was just you know, a time for us to get away, and we can talk, and not have to worry about mom and worry about school or anything else. And we ended up making these pens. I took a woodshop class uh, when I believe I was in fifth or sixth grade. So I kind of got used to working with power tools and what to do with my hands. And we ended up buying a terrible old lathe for about 50 bucks. And we put that in the garage. And it was something that me and my dad just learned how to do and got better and better at. But Wow. How, how did you we, decide that it was going to be this? Like, how did it? How did it, you decide? You know what? Let's start making some pens. Like, I, I mean, not everybody would do that, right? So, you know, what was the genesis? Well, we had uh, in that woodshop class, we made some kit pens. Now, when I say kit pen, kits are basically a pre-stamped. All the pieces come in a Ziploc baggie that you need for all the working parts of a pen. It has your springs, your your little metal bits. And those are all usually made in China or Taiwan, anywhere like that. They're mass produced and they're very cheap. Um, so that was something that we could do. That was, you know, all of two or three dollars. But we liked that a lot because it was a little piece of art that we could make and make together and then use day to day. You know, it didn't it wasn't a piece of art that sat on the wall. It was something you could put in your pocket and take to work. But we made those for family and friends. You know, I had my grandparents' Christmas gifts locked down for years. Pat, I was going to say, and, no problem there, right? <laughs> not at all. No, they loved it. You know, they did a crossword puzzle with something that I made. Oh, you know, it was great. so cool. But we ended up just basically putting too much time and money into it. You okay. know, it was a hobby. Like that any good side hustle. <laughs> right. It, exactly. You know, it was something for fun. And then, you know, you start selling one or two at a craft show or, you know, we did a little church show, you know, it's like a $20 table, you know, nothing serious, but we sold a lot of them. We said, oh, that's money. Okay. And then we did another one. You do another one, do another one. And we kept buying better parts, better materials, kept it going until then my, when I was in college, got to my senior year and this was starting to pay for school. Wow. And wow. college isn't cheap. Yeah, college is not cheap. And that was exciting because, okay, I, this was enough to you know, pay for me to go to school. What else can it pay for? So I got out in four years and my parents sat me down and said, honestly, we were expecting for it to take five. So we had <laughs> set a little money aside. I had switched majors a few times. You know how it goes. Sure. Um, yep. so I, I did too. <laughs> 
They said we had set a little bit of money aside in case it took five years. It didn't. So we're going to use that as basically your rent. You're going to get to stay here for a year and try to make this work for That's real. That's really cool. Yeah. So that was the best thing that ever happened was you get a, a free year, basically. And said, okay. And being the eternal procrastinator that I am, it was the end of November that we landed our first real uh, retail space partnership. Okay. Now, how did that come about? Because we have talked a lot about that on some other of my episodes in terms of just getting into retail. So talk about some of the challenges you guys faced and then what was kind of the, the first entry point yeah, for you? The, the, the challenges were, were rough because by this point, we had actually turned to an American manufacturing. Um, so we had stopped using those Chinese parts that so many people used for a hobby. And we actually approached a metal worker in Georgia who was able to produce this parts All for right, us. My home state. Steel. I love that. In America. Yeah. So there you go. So we were able to say, okay, this is a completely American made product oh, now. Huge. It's different from everybody else. What do we do with it? So we were in, we were in DC and we were doing a, a, basically a very nice, art show. It's better than a craft show. You know, it's very expensive, a lot of high-end retail around there. And we had parked in a garage in City Center, D.C., which is very, very high-end. So there's a Hermes and Louis Vuitton, that kind of shopping. And there's a store in there called The Great Republic. And I later found out that this is a small chain of stores. But they do all kinds of American portraits, uh, battle-flown flags. It's like an American museum where you can buy things, basically. Uh, so they're very big dollars. And I had a couple of these pens that were actually made using materials uh, from presidential estates and planted by former presidents. So we had some wood from trees planted by George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, pieces from their estates. And I said, okay, I looked in the window, but this is the perfect shop. They've got an oil portrait right. of <laughs> this George is like Washington. Home run for your pens. There. Yeah. And they had, they had cuff length and shaving stuff. It's like, perfect. This is, Went back the next day. They ended up actually staying open late, and I was able to sneak in, talk to the manager. She put me in touch with the gentleman who opened these stores. Right. And a week later, he had bought our whole stock. And wow. So going into into all our locations. That's amazing. He, what are the chances yeah, of that? He, it was one of those things where you know our show there on the street doing the, the open air market that ended at like eight thirty or nine, and usually they would have closed at exactly that time. So they had luckily stayed open for our 15-minute walk over there. And we were able to just sneak in at the last minute. And, you know, there there I was at like 18 years old with this leather binder with some pens in it. And I said, uh, can I talk to your manager? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, make our first step. But he, uh, the gentleman, uh, Eddie Paxton, who opened those shops, had other successful businesses and saw what we were trying to do. So he looked at the product we had that day and listened to our story and Luckily, it gave me the time of day and really knew what we wanted to do. Um, so he bought all our stock. And then about six months later, he had actually become a business partner and bought, bought into the company. Um, so he really believed in it. And from there, we created Eagle Pen Company. And we are here today, years later. I'm uh, turning 26 in a few months. And we now do... Uh, we make pens for presidential gifts. We're making pens for a supercar company. And uh, now we're here. I'm here talking to you about our Apollo 11 pen. I love that. I love that. Well, you've got lots of pens. Uh, the Kronos, the Sam Houston, the Mammoth, Golden Pheasant, White House, Shuttle Columbia. So first, how did you decide You know what were going to be the designs? 
and then we can get to the newest one, Apollo 11, which is uh, such a great, great timing with the, uh, the anniversary of the landing on the moon. Right. So all of our pens uh, so far have very much been built off of what is available in the market for us to work with. Um, so most, uh, basically all of our pens are made with a, some sort of historic material related to an American landmark, a person, or even an event. Um, so, you know, we have the Apollo 11, which is really obviously the event. We have a lot of those presidential pieces. And then we have like our White House pen, which has original wood from the White House. Oh, wow. And things like that. That's very so, cool. Luckily, uh, through the Great Republic, that chain of shops that we were introduced to, we got pushed into a lot of the different areas that are a lot of the uh, opportunities arose to buy certain items. Uh, we finally had some cash into the company uh, through those sales and through our partnership that when you look at a piece of wood that was, you know, used in the restoration of the White House after it was burned by the British in the That's early crazy. 1800s, and you say, oh, that's a lot of money. And you say, okay, I sure. know it's a lot of money, but I can make 30 or 40 pens out of it. Right. At retail, fairly significant. I was going to say, you know, I so, mean, your pens are yeah. not cheap. So, I mean, that they're really nice. No, the, the, the White House pens, especially those pens, those all have a miniature oil painting accompanying that wood. So we have the, the cap of the pen is made out of that original White House wood, but then the body is a hand-painted oil rendition of the White House. So that was, you know, we looked at the market, we saw what companies were making. There's nobody doing historic pens. There are a few companies doing hand-painted pens, but they're all out of uh, Russia. That's fascinating. That's what I was going to ask you. And we talked about it before the podcast is a little bit about the industry. Most of us don't know much about this industry. And, you know, so, so just share a little bit more about it. You you mentioned Russia making some premium pens. What, what, What does the market look like in your, in your space? Right. That's a part of why we wanted to do it completely in America, because the market, has, at least all of the production, has moved overseas. Oh, God. Um, okay. So you have all your, your companies like Schaefer and Cross that were uh, American icons, basically, you know, have all shrank considerably in their, their U.S. side and moved production to China, which I understand. You know, that's what you want to do. But a lot of companies still posture as that hey, we are an American company. Like, yeah, sure. Kind of. Right. <laughs> um, kind of. Nice. So that's that's what we were we were fighting against because we we saw that hole in the market for uh, all the household names uh, like Mont Blanc or Montegrappa or Olmos. A lot of these make beautiful pens, but for some reason uh, there's only they only come out of uh, Europe mainly. You know, you have nice pens coming out of uh, Germany, France, Italy. Uh, a lot of Russian pieces. And then we saw the market and I said, okay, you know, we have, especially being in DC, I was like, state department's here. The white house is here. We have all these government places. Why are they not using an American made pen? Sure. You know, that, that's what, that's what gets me. Yeah. I love these designs. No, I think this is great. And your newest one, the Apollo 11 50th anniversary. It's been actually an interesting week to be watching all the news about it. I'm a, I'm a fan of the space program. I actually used to work. I think I told you for NASA when I was in college and on the Columbia actually. Um, but so Apollo 11. So how did you decide this is going to be one of your pens? I love the colors. I love the black and silver. It's one of my favorites, I think. Thank you. Yeah. That is uh, very exciting for us for a few reasons. Yes. Apollo 11, amazing. What you know, right, probably story. one sure. of the most consequential events of the last hundred years. Sure, but it was exciting for us personally because this is the first time 
that we can create more than, you know, 50 or 60 pens a year. Um, oh, interesting. Everything we've been, yeah. 50 or 60 so pens a year. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's yeah. amazing. Only 50 or 60. Man, this is not it, mass production, right? This is definitely it, curated. No. <laughs> yeah. All of those are, like you said, I'm working with very small pieces of historic wood that are irreplaceable. You know, once wow. you use it all, it's handmade. Small. So exactly. Yeah. Wow. So all those pieces, I have to go sit with the gentleman who makes the metal parts. He actually, you know, draws up the plans to create those metal pieces. We then have our miniature artists and we only have two and they do all of the hand painting for us in the U S that's another part. Yeah. I could get these railed out in China for two bucks a piece, but that's, that's not my company. Um, but yeah, we were very limited on that because each of those hand paintings takes about 12 to 20 hours, depending on how intricate you get. And that is not, that is, yeah, especially a good artist that is not cheap work. And that's why our pens reflect that, you know, because there are about 30 hours of hand work in each pen. Oh, so with the Apollo 11 pen, we have finally found a truly American manufacturing company that does very, very high-end jewelry in the States. So this is a very good opportunity for us because we can actually make metal dies for the first time. So we can start working with 18 karat gold, fine and sterling silver, enamels, different things that we can do, high-relief, DSA. We can do all of those fine, intricate things that you see from very high-end pens out of France and Italy. We can do them here in the States. So that was, that was the missing piece of the puzzle. And honestly, a few years ago, you'd, we didn't have thousands and thousands of dollars for those metal dies. So that is the most expensive piece of machinery <laughs> out there. Um, but yeah, that is, that is going to be between a 500 and 750 pen series uh, when it's all said and done. So it's still very small in the grand scheme of things. Um, you know, there's a lot of limited edition pens that come out of Germany that are 5,000 pens, and that's limited. But, you know, this is a, this is a small operation that is a, a more niche market that is a luxury incarnate. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, I love it. Well, um, and how did you decide it was going to be Apollo 11? Like, how did you know that was going to be the next one? Well, that, you know, we, we finally had a little bit of time and we, we looked ahead and we saw that the anniversary was coming up. We said, okay, what can we possibly purchase? You know, what kind of material can we find that's related to Apollo 11? And I started digging around. That's probably most of my job as president is just scouring the internet, looking for bits and pieces of history that I can oh, buy. Geez, that's amazing. And well, it's, it's very hard to do, but you also cold call people a lot, yeah. you know, and, and it's, bartering with them. What can I possibly give you? That's <laughs> so awesome. Let me have this. And then verifying all these pieces on top of that. You right. Know, that's, that they're real. That's the yeah. hard part. Yeah. Right. Cause you can say, Oh, this is from such and such a battle. My granddaddy brought it back. Right. <laughs> okay. But I need, I need more than what you, what you tell me. Um, but we found a small auction house that, uh, luckily had a relationship with a former NASA engineer who's a uh, Bill Whipke who is uh, actually the head of the uh, machine shop for Apollo 11. So he had his hand directly in making a lot of the parts for the Saturn V rocket in the Apollo 11 yeah, mission. And of course, he passed away a few years ago. But after his death, his family basically went through his office and had found all these bits and pieces re- related to Apollo 11 
you know, signed by him and team members from the machine shop. And from through that auction house and the relationship with his family, we're able to secure a piece of this Kapton foil, which is basically a a thermal tape uh, they use to protect the astronauts when they came back through the atmosphere. So that's why it has that coloration to it, meant to reflect the atmosphere's heat away from the astronauts. Uh, So when that command module came back through the atmosphere and landed in the Pacific Ocean, all of that tape was eventually scrubbed off and given away as gifts and mementos to those engineers. Wow. That's very, very cool. Um, like any entrepreneur, I'm sure you have lessons learned from your last five, six years doing this. What have been, what would you say are the top two or three for you as you have um, built this company with your father? It's just been a hard part of exposure and knowing what to do and where to go. And it's something that I think I still struggle with, but I, I remember I, I would very much find myself in the position that I had more time than money in a lot of the a lot of cases. And, you know, there's companies out there that you can pay them thirty or forty thousand dollars, and they'll build you a website and build you a marketing campaign. Sure. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm 19 years old, right? But I don't have I'm not pay someone for that. Me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So it was it was just my time. You know, I would regularly, you know, during that year that I had, I would get up, have breakfast, go sit at my computer, and just just read and read and read. I was watching YouTube videos. I taught myself photography so I could photograph the pens for the website. I taught myself what's the best way to build a website, what is SEO, what are all these bits and pieces. And it was just hours a day. And, you know, my day usually ended at 3 a.m., you know, whenever I got <laughs> right. tired. And I would eventually <laughs> No sleep. Crash. No sleep. And then get up again and start over. So That's that a was- good one. That's a really good one. What about working with your dad? Not everybody gets to, to work with a family member. How has that been for you? It's surprisingly good. You know, that's, uh, I hear that a lot of people say, oh, working with family is the best and worst thing you'll ever do. And luckily, early on, we had very defined roles and what we were doing in the company. Um, so that, I think, kept things, you know, we didn't, we never clashed about anything. Sure. No, that's great. I think that would be such a blast if you get, you know, if you, if you have complementary skills or complementary uh, things you bring to the table, you know what I mean. I think just like any business partner, it's just it just happens to be your dad. <laughs> That's kind of cool, right? Exactly. I mean, because my my father had excelled incredibly at uh, physically creating a lot of these pieces and the very small, intricate woodwork. So that was something that he loved to do, and I was more than happy to let him do that, and for me to sit upstairs and work <laughs> out how to build a website. The marketing, market. yeah, totally. Right. Yep. So that we, we had the division of labor, so we didn't, you know, we weren't yelling at each other in the wood shop, you know, with our oh, artistic direction. Right. You don't get it. You, don't get it. you know, we, right. we figured that out early on. Um, That's pretty so awesome. It, and, yeah, it's been, it's been great just because I talk to a lot of people my age and they maybe go home two or three times a year and see their parents and I, I see my dad probably every other weekend. That's pretty awesome. You know, and it's, it's been, yeah, it's been nice to be able to it's like the added benefit family. Yeah, that's so yeah. nice. Well, I, I know a lot of our listeners will be interested in finding your pens and checking out your company and the different designs. You guys have got to check it out. I mean, these are so cool. So why don't you share, if you don't mind, uh, where our listeners can find you, how they can connect with you and, and all else. Sure. Yeah. Right now, our website is eaglepens.com. So eagle, like the bird, and then P-E-N-S.com. And it's that handle on Facebook, Instagram, everywhere else. And for the Apollo pen, we are doing pre-orders right now. And we'll also be offering that pre-order 
probably by the time this is out, uh, <laughs> that will be through. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, it will be through uh, Goulet Pens, which is a very large online retailer of fountain pens. Got and it. And then we'll have a a few uh, smaller independent shops around Baltimore, D.C., a few in Texas, and as well as uh, L.A. So, and then once they're go gone, they're gone, person, right? Once they're gone, they're gone. Yeah. Right? I mean, at some point, the material runs out. Yep. And that's what perplexed people. They're like, oh, you know, when I first started showing this pen off, I said, $1,500 for this. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah. I, I said, if you want to, if you, you know, we have about 25, about 25 millimeters of capcom wow. foil in wow. the very top of the pen. That's very cool. If you want to, you go online and you will find a one square millimeter piece in a, in a little <laughs> acrylic dome and a magnifying glass. <laughs> yep. It's about $80. Oh uh, my gosh. You know, and yeah. so Just you, for that piece. You yep. out, yeah. You know, you start working out the, uh, the square foot price of this and you. That's really cool. <laughs> that's really that cool. Yeah. That hurts. Um, but it's, it's something we absolutely love doing and I've been glad that we've had such a good reception, both, you know, from the government, you know, as an American yeah. product, but also from people who are kind of in the pen market and aching for something that is actually American. Right. And interesting and different and like premium. It's just really cool. I have to, I really do think it's great. Thank That's why. you. When I saw your information, I was like, we got to get you on the podcast. But um, listen, Jeremy, it has been awesome having you on the podcast. I, you know, As you roll out other editions, I'll call it, or other lines, uh, I'd love to have you back on. This is so cool, and I'd love to keep following you and, and hearing your story. Of course, I'd love to. I will, I'll let you know because we're, we're looking to release uh, one or two, maybe three a year at this kind of volume. Um, so the next pen we have planned out after Apollo is going to be in- we're going to introduce something from the Statue of Liberty. Oh, um, that's cool. So we've cool. got some very interesting material coming coming from that neck of the woods. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. So, that's really, really yeah. cool. Well, Jeremy, it's been great having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the ContenderCast, connect with us at contenderbrands.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender. Contender.